1: Hi friends, welcome to WCN-TV. For today, um, wonderful guest, wonderful book. In a culture of entitlement, the idea of blessings seem quaint. We are a me-focused generation intent on getting our needs met and securing as much possible affirmation for ourselves as we can. To be sure, the TikTokers and Instagram influencers are bent on attention in their self-absorbed universe. The problem, according to Professor Dr. Gordon Stewart Jackson, is that God does want to bless his people. The catch is, and Solomon is a classic example, that when he does bless, we tend to believe that we deserve it. Or even worse, forget that God is the source of our blessing. Gordon says, blessing us is in his self-chosen job description. Now, I really like that line. <laughs> blessing us is in God's self-chosen job description, and that's what he does. Dr. Jackson looks at the meaning of blessing from God's point of view. Why does he do it? Who gets blessed? When we talk about a God who delights and pouring out on his people something we term blessings, we should hang our heads in shame over how often we have stripped the concept of its power. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Gordon Stewart Jackson, Cape Town, where he received his undergraduate education. After working as a journalist in Johannesburg, he completed his doctorate at Indiana University. He taught journalism at Whitworth University for more than three decades. The the God Who Blesses is the subject of our conversation today and it's one of 18 books. (laughs) How about that? Gordon, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. It's great to be with you.
1: Well, I want to congratulate you first of all for writing a readable book on the subject of blessing. I've I've read several uh, over the years, and and most of them are are pretty heady theological uh, material, and it doesn't really get down to the to the brass tacks, if we can say that, use that idiom, where the rubber meets the road. But your book certainly certainly does that. So I I recommend it for people. Um, In fact, I'm just going to share from your book. It's in the front material, the front matter of the book. um, Why God chooses to bless us, you say, is a mystery that we mortals cannot answer. All we can do is embrace these blessings with gratitude. And in this book, friends, Gordon is going to to explain, going to explore and talk about, uh, among other things, these 10 things. What do we mean by bless, blessing, and blessed? What is the theology behind blessing? In other words, what does scripture have to say about it? On what authority does one get to do the blessing? Now that's a very important concept, especially as we we take note of that um, in the Hebrew scriptures. What does a state of blessedness look like? Who or what merits a blessing? Can we imagine Jesus giving one of the disciples a heartfelt bless you after a sneeze? Now, I admit that made me laugh when I read that. What difference does a blessing actually make? Is a blessing in disguise really a blessing? Can we demand a blessing from God? And what's the mount of blessings versus the mount of cursings all about? So, friends, in this book, all of those things are going to be discussed and explained, Um, is there a link? So as we get started, Gordon, uh, I guess right out of the gate, um, is there a link between blessing and an attitude of gratitude on our part?
2: I think the attitude of gratitude has to logically follow from the blessings we see around us. Let me begin my comments by saying, first of all, that I'm not a theologian. I'm not theologically trained in any form or way. But I want to pick up on what you said a moment ago about the other books you've seen on this topic, which tend to be heavy on theology. I, in fact, encountered little that had been written on the subject. And what I did find was written in a heavy, I'd say, theological way. And I said, I want to write a book for people like me who can understand the basic concepts that you've just listed. And so what exactly are we talking about with blessings? We use this term frequently. We use it, to be honest, quite loosely. But there's a paradox, because if you dig a little bit deeper, you say, wait a minute. There's a whole lot more going on here than the casual bless you when you sneeze or You sign off your email by saying, blessings, Gordon. And what am I throwing around here? And as I thought about this concept, I realized we're playing with dynamite. This is Mm -hmm. stuff that is very serious in God's eyes, and we tend to trivialize it. Now, not all of us, not all of the time, of course, but I wanted to put together for myself a set of reminders or awakenings into the broader concept of blessing and i'll just say one other thing briefly and it has to do with the source of the idea where did this come from Um, my daughter has recently had twin identical girls and uh, as i thought about their arrival in this world I thought of when my daughter and my son was little, how we would say to them each evening an improvised prayer, which I mentioned in the introduction. And the prayer was very simple. It just said, God bless Sarah and keep her safe and well and happy. And then the same thing for my son, Matthew. And at the time, I had no real clarity on why I was saying that, what the theological underpinnings were, what were the implications of that little prayer. And as I began to think more along those lines, I thought, hmm, there's stuff here that needs to be told. And that result is the book you've been referring to, uh, The God Who Blesses. So that gives your viewers some context for where the book came from and also what prompted me to write it.
1: Yes, amen. So so you do believe that there is a, a direct link between blessing and gratitude.
2: Absolutely. Uh, okay. And if we're going to be uh, thoughtful Christians, we need as people responding to our Heavenly Father to show that gratitude. And it could be for a very simple thing like praying, Uh, a prayer of thanks in the morning for a beautiful day or it can be for something more serious like uh, asking God's help to cope with a serious illness or a family crisis, knowing that we're in the hands of a loving God who cares infinitely for us and we can be grateful even in advance of the answer to his prayers. So that gratitude, uh, Mike, is very much part of the, the bigger picture.
1: Yes. Yeah. One of the many challenges, uh, Gordon, I'm going to phrase it a particular way, um, this this statement and then question. One of the many challenges we face today is that we live in a, a um, well, I'll, I'll call it a materialistically oriented society, culture uh, here in America. In fact, um, whether it's radio or, or television or some other uh, medium, we are bombarded with advertising for products. And um, as, as I've thought about this over the years, it, it seems that advertising has become more aggressive in the sense that it tries to, to um, create within its viewers, a sense of dissatisfaction in in where they're at, what they may have, and simultaneously create this idea that if you buy this product or acquire what we are selling, that you'll be you'll be much happier. Um, in fact, I, I even hear people say this today, Gordon, that when they acquire something, whether it's a new car or or something else, that they've been blessed to have this or to, to gain this. And, and I wonder uh, along the thesis of your book, if that's not really accurate. And I wonder uh, how much of the material things that we pursue, um, we're trying to equate to the blessings of God. And, and really we did that on our own. So do, do you does that make sense?
2: Yeah, let me respond as I hope we have time to do this. By telling two brief stories. Sure. The one comes from my time in South Africa, where during the uh, end years of apartheid, there was a lot of violence in townships. And we knew a Catholic priest, a white man, who went into a black township where he was well known. It was nighttime. People didn't recognize him and they stoned his car, and he escaped injury, but it was a terrifying experience for him. He came and visited us when we were on vacation and spent some time with us. My wife knew him through work. And we said to him, we feel so uh, guilty being in the comfort and safety of our home in Spokane, Washington. And here you are on the front lines of things, literally putting your life in danger in your ministry. And we feel so guilty about that. And he said something I've never forgotten He said, don't feel guilty about having the good things that God wants you to have. God wants you to be in a place that is safe. He wants you to be well fed. He wants you to have a stable environment around you. And that became really important to me when I would lead study groups of students to South Africa. And they would see uh, enormous poverty at times. They would learn about the violence. And they would sometimes say they feel guilty about that. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong with you having a good home back in the States, with having good medical care or good education. God wants those things for us. But the problem becomes when we take them for granted. Now, that brings me to my second little story. And I'm not sure if this is true or whether it's um, an apocryphal story. But as it goes, there was this pastor visiting one of his church members who'd been an incredibly successful business person. And he had his lavish home by the lake, and he had uh, these luxury cars. He had expensive paintings on the walls. He'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on all these things. And he said to the pastor, Yes, uh, God has uh, blessed us uh, with, he's given us so much. And the pastor said, And how much did you need to keep? And the point being, God wants us to have blessings, but he doesn't want us to hang on to things that he doesn't expect us to keep. And that's where I think your emphasis on the materialistic nature of our culture plays in. We are indeed reminded at every turn that, yes, you can't be satisfied with your current car. You need a new one. No, you can't be happy with the house you have. Go and buy a bigger one. No, you can't be happy with your personal hygiene. Uh, Get 36-hour protection for your deodorant. Uh, Whatever it is, um, you're not happy because what you have right now isn't enough. And if you push it theologically, what you're saying is something quite heretical, and that is God hasn't given you enough claim more demand more materialistically and then only then will you be happy of course the advertisers (laughs) never tell you that you're never going to be satisfied (laughs) because there's something to sell you tomorrow and the next day and the day after so yep you make a very important point about the materialism
1: yes yes well, you were a university educator for many years, as I mentioned in the opening monologue, and I'm, I'm wondering um, because you you witnessed over over thirty, I think it's thirty-two years, Gordon. Yes, that's 30 right. Yeah, over over thirty-two years, you you were witness to to many changes in the students that came into university and and the ideas that they carried with them, and I'm I'm wondering if if you have any thoughts about social media and, and all the comparisons that, that we make, does that, that have any influence on um, on our sense of, of blessing?
2: That's a really difficult question for me to answer because I'm one of the people who tries to avoid social media <laughs> as much as I can. And I don't have, uh, this will be heresy to some of your viewers, I don't have a smartphone. I don't see a need for one. And even though the ads assume that I cannot live a meaningful life without one, I'm trying to prove them wrong. So uh, social media, Facebook, I'll occasionally look at things uh, on that. But I had a website a while ago that I abandoned uh, because of lack of interest. And uh, in general, I think I... Uh, live a full blessed life without those uh, concomitants of today's living.
1: Yes. <laughs> I so congratulate gonna, you, Gordon.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take a pass on that question if you don't mind, Mike. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, um, I'm, I'm, uh, may I say, I'm envious. <laughs> I'd like to arrive in that state. Um, I, I think there's some. A great, great deal of peace, and contentment to be found there. Um, you talk about the differences, Gordon, between uh, the words "bless," "blessed," and "blessings," and you refer to them in in the in the front matter. I think it was in the introduction. Uh, yeah, in the introduction, as being slippery creatures, slippery creatures. What what exactly? For our, for our viewers' sake, do you mean by that?
2: I mean, we bring a lot of meaning to those words and we range in our understanding of blessing or bless from a very serious uh, concept, such as a child being uh, baptized or an infant being baptized, where we say we are blessing this child and seeking God's hand upon it for its future. Uh, For those uh, who uh, are not uh, committed to children's or infant baptism, think of it as, uh, or prefer adult baptism as their theological stance, uh, the principle remains the same. When you are baptized as an adult, you're expecting, and uh, people surrounding you are expecting, that God is laying a special blessing on you in that moment. Uh, You think of a marriage, a sacred ceremony, where in God's eyes, a couple is coming together. And again, we see that as something that's of great moment and importance. On the other hand, we have the example you mentioned earlier of, uh, can we really think of Jesus saying, bless you, to when the Apostle Thomas sneezes? Uh, I don't think so. And that's where we tend to trivialize. The concept of blessing another way we use the word is uh, in a situation um, such as uh, a person uh, wanting a new uh, appliance for example Uh, if you get a new car would you say a prayer of god's blessing on that car and say God, all of us who ride in this vehicle, we all need your protection. May we be protected and may the people we uh, literally run into, perhaps, be protected. Uh, So we have another meaning there. But then in the Psalms, we've got a different meaning of the word bless. Uh, I think it's Psalm 130, where the King James Version has, bless the Lord, O my soul. Yeah, you've got a synonym For praise. And that expands the meaning of the word blessing in a way that perhaps we hadn't consciously thought of. But that's very much present in scripture where we bless God. Well, what do we mean when we say that? Normally, we think of a blessing as something that is called upon a person, and invariably, it's a person of higher status or higher authority. Think, for example, at the end of uh, church um on uh, sunday you are at the end of the service and the pastor or maybe the priest stands up and gives a benediction what is that it's a blessing for you and everyone else in the congregation as you go out into your week have a god favored week and that blessing is intended to be something that is sacred and special One of the parallels I write about in the book is that of a wedding where uh, someone is proposing a toast to the bride and the groom. And what is that intended to accomplish? It's a ritual we have, and basically you're saying, you know, I wish uh, Arnold and Debbie a happy marriage. I'm wishing well for them. And everyone uh, raises a glass and says to Arnold and Debbie, Uh, We all uh, applaud. Um, But that toast that I might give at my son's wedding or my daughter's wedding, it really doesn't carry any kind of theological clout. And so I think of the benediction at church being like God saying to me, Gordon, bless you this coming week. I am in your camp. I am rooting for you i'm not only wishing you well this week i have the power to do something about it put your trust in me let's go forward together into this coming week so i think the analogy of the toast that god is giving on our behalf uh, is a helpful one to understand the nature of blessing uh, given by someone like a pastor or a priest
1: yes Yes. Amen. And since, since you brought that up, proposing a toast, that's chapter four. I just want to read what, what you wrote in here, Gordon. I thought this was very good. And, and it is easy to imagine that the father would say this if he were to propose a toast, God proposes a toast to each one of us each day. Would it be something like this? May you know my grace in abundance once again, this day, May you walk in ways that please and honor me. And may you share my love with all those, all whose lives you touch. Now, how about that for a blessing? There's a blessing um, that I can receive with great joy and gladness (laughs) from the Father. Well, I read um, earlier, Gordon, as we got started, I I read from the, the front material in the introduction um, why God chooses to bless us is a mystery. That's that's what you wrote in here, and and I'm wondering um, if you would unpack that a little more for our for our viewers. Why God chooses to bless us is a mystery that we cannot answer. How is it a mystery?
2: Why would God love people like us in the first place? That is the mystery. I think the best analogy we have there is that of a parent loving a child. And you love your child regardless of what the child has done. We have the incredibly powerful parable Jesus told of the prodigal son, or more accurately, the prodigal father, the unpredictable, unreasonable uh, father whose love blows our socks off when he has a son who betrays him and effectively says you know i wish you were dead give me my share of the estate i'm getting out of your life and it's this son who is welcomed back by a father who's watching out for him and the hope that he will return god makes us god loves us in spite of who we are and for me the mystery is that he is seeking to give us all these good things as we do with our children we uh, try to use our good judgment in giving them things that will be meaningful and helpful uh, in their lives but uh, God in his infinite wisdom knows far better what we need but at the same time Gives us stuff in spite of ourselves, and in spite of the way uh, we turn our backs on him at times. And all he seeks of us is our love in responding to what he's given to us. And as you said at the very beginning of our program, Mike uh, wants our gratitude.
1: Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a that's a wonderful answer. Um, you mentioned uh, the prodigal son, but there are many other examples. Uh, from the scriptures, where where God blesses His people, and and they they turn their backs on Him, they forget about Him, they they go about their business, and but but God is so wonderful that He's willing to take that risk, and that's that's just a beautiful truth from the scriptures, especially within this context of of blessing. And again, friends, I am speaking with Dr. Gordon Stewart Jackson. The book is "The God Who Blesses: Fifty Reflections." On blessings and blessedness. God um, often links his people's obedience to blessings and and curses. I'm thinking immediately of Deuteronomy 28 as one prime example. Um, Is that still true today in in your view, Gordon?
2: I think from what I have read in theology about a range of Christian understandings of God and his displeasure with us when we do things wrong. I don't know that we would use the word curses coming upon us today. However, I think the consequence of prolonged disobedience or prolonged turning our back on God inevitably leads to something that's the equivalent of a curse. Uh, And we have the sobering thing in the Old Testament where we are told to choose between this way or that way, or at least the children of Israel are told to choose. And they are presented with this option of the Mount of blessings and the Mount of cursings. Well, we don't talk much about cursings in our contemporary churches, but I think there's a sober lesson for us in that concept. And that's why I included that chapter. In fact, I uh, was talking with a theology professor colleague at Whitworth University and he said I should be sure to put in a chapter on that concept because he said without it, the picture isn't complete and blessings are what God wants to give us. He's eager to give us good things, but prolonged disobedience is going to have negative consequences. And that, to me, is the twenty-first century equivalent of those cursings that the Israelites had to deal with.
1: Yes, and I, I, I agree with that. I was thinking that myself. That um, prolonged disobedience has um, has consequences, and and God will not always. Sometimes He will, for again, for reasons of His of His own choosing, which remain a mystery to to us in many cases but sometimes he will choose to to shield us from the consequences but other times he won't we we will experience the consequences of of uh, prolonged disobedience so uh, in your book gordon you write that a blessing is far more than a wish or a hope why well, explain that
2: think of the six-year-old who's having a birthday party you've got six little candles on the cake and the mom says okay dear now make a wish before you blow them out well the kid may wish for a bicycle or the kid may wish for this or that or the other that is far from a god-initiated example of goodness in your life a wish or a hope is Just that, it's limited to that moment. You say, oh, I wish I could go to Florida for my vacation. Oh, I wish I could visit uh, Italy and go to Venice and see the canals. Well, sure, go ahead and make a wish. But that's very different from the tangible blessings uh, that we are given. So I think um, it's important to make that distinction. First of all, the very heart of blessing is that ultimately it's God initiated. The good things that we have, as I've said several times, come from God. We are very limited in what we can adjust and bring into our lives. So if we say, you know, I wish as a six-year-old I could have a bicycle, maybe that'll come true, maybe it won't, but that's very different from the pastor praying at the end of the church service I'm sending you out under the banner of a God who is going to empower you through the Holy Spirit this week. We're talking about a very different level of uh, a future that is being uh, shaped there. It's not just an idle wish for a bicycle. It's something that is divinely governed, divinely inspired.
1: Yes, yes. You talk about um, us being limited in our understanding of of God's blessings, and um, I think that's an important point. Um, if for no other reason, I, I think it reorients us, the, the the church. It reorients our thinking back to, back to the center, back to the to the foundation of the Scriptures, um, because that's contrasted today in a good many places by by. Christians who are being taught that we are somehow entitled or that we're somehow in control of receiving those blessings merely by the words that we utter, uh, I, if I can be so bold as to say it this way, demand or or interact in a way that, that God is obligated to respond to us with blessings. I, I find that very troubling And the fact that you're talking about our limited understanding of God's blessings. I think that's a very good thing.
2: Mm hmm. Um, And yet there is a very provocative quotation in the book that I have included um, from the uh, mystic from the Middle Ages, Meister Eckhart, who said something along these lines. And I'm just paraphrasing here. He said uh, essentially that when we're in tune with God, he is obliged given his character to do good things for us. He says, just as the sun has to, by its identity, by its definition, the sun has to shine on us, so does God have to give blessings uh, to us because, as you said at the beginning, that's in his job description. That's who he is. That's what he does. And so in that sense, we can expect blessings from God, but you're right in saying we're heading into tricky territory when we dare to say, I demand a blessing from God. I think we need to be very careful there. Uh, and that can lead us into the realm of unanswered prayers where, uh, you know, I demand a better job, Lord, and then you don't give me one this year. What does that mean for my relationship with you? What does it mean for your character? or, Lord, heal me from this debilitating illness, and you don't, and I continue to linger for a long while. I I cannot demand that goodness in any uh, ultimate sense.
1: Yes, yes. Gordon, is there a, a, a link, any relationship between um, unity and, and blessing?
2: Say more what you mean there.
1: So, so unity is, is uh, something that we should all be striving for as believers. Um, yet, yet it seems like it's, it's one of the most difficult things to apprehend. Um, we let things get in between us, um, certainly doctrine and theology is at the top of the list and, and I don't think that the Lord Jesus ever intended for doctrine or theology to be dividing his body so so there's that um but when we are pursuing unity true unity in a biblical sense um dialoguing about our differences not not attacking and criticizing and dividing but but dialoguing about our differences and and attempting to come together in true biblical unity do blessings follow from that?
2: I would assume that they have to. I say assume because, to be honest, Mike, I have not been part of those kinds of uh, dialogues between denominations or between Christians of very different perspectives. Uh, my path has simply not brought me into situations where I've sat down with Uh, other Christians, I've not been um, one who's had the opportunity to do that, but certainly I would say it has to be a God-pleasing thing when people who uh, have so much in common get together to discuss, maybe try and resolve things that uh, are very important differences, but which pale next to the true fundamental beliefs that uh, define what a Christian is. So yes. I have to believe that blessings would ensue in that kind of situation.
1: Yes. And I, so I would certainly think that that blessings in the form of of um, uh, ministry, fruitful ministry um, in the fields of evangelism and, and others would certainly be a blessing that the Father would would uh, be delighted um, to extend.
2: Um, yes. And so comment on one concept that I uh, highlight in the book, yes. and it's the wonderful Hebrew concept of Shalom. Mm-hmm. And I would see that as the ideal state that God would have us be living in. And that would relate to your point about blessings flowing from Christian brothers and sisters who disagree, very deeply perhaps, but if they can work with those and around those differences, they would be moving things closer towards the ideal unity, the ideal kind of community that God would like us to be uh, living in together. So that notion of shalom, uh, a state of flourishing, is one that uh, I think is closely related to the idea of blessings.
1: Amen. Jesus gave ample examples uh, of blessings, and you you talk about that um, in your book. I'm wondering if you would share with our viewers what are what are some of the ways that Jesus models blessings.
2: Well, there's one inscription that comes at the beginning of the book. And that is uh, something I hadn't realized until I began researching the material for the book. That is the last thing that Jesus did with his disciples was to bless them and then he ascended. The last words he leaves with them are those of blessing. And that struck me as being very significant. Jesus could have given them some last minute instructions. He could have uh, done uh, something quite spectacular like a uh, a moment of the transfiguration he could have done that for the whole group uh, but no just a blessing on them we don't know what he said but it was no doubt were words that echoed in their minds for the rest of their lives so that will be one thing about blessing and uh, Jesus another that struck me for the first time was the picture of Jesus blessing the children. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church and went to Sunday school, we've seen pictures from early on in our lives of these little kids coming to Jesus. There was something charismatic about him that even kids came to him. But what struck me for the first time is that typically the people who came to Jesus were Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted to score debating points with him. Mm -hmm. Or they were people who were blind or they were people who were in deep spiritual need uh, like uh, Zacchaeus up a tree, having a deep spiritual hunger that he thought, maybe this man can address this for me. Everyone who came to him, except those children, were people in need. And it's the children in their innocence who come to Jesus simply because of who he is. They weren't wanting to get something from him. They weren't wanting uh, their sight restored. They weren't wanting to win a debating contest with him. Uh, They weren't wanting to uh, have a deep spiritual need uh, addressed. So seeing uh, how he blessed the children in that way was something that I thought was striking. Maybe your viewers will find that an interesting observation as well.
1: Yes. Amen. Well, friends, we are we are uh, conversing with Dr. Gordon Jackson. The book is "The God Who Blesses: Fifty Reflections on Blessings and Blessedness." You you talk about um, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and the word "hosanna" and why that word "hosanna" was used.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why was it used? Oh.
2: <laughs> uh, Because this was an unprecedented event where you have uh, the Son of God entering Jerusalem and some people recognized what was going on, or at least they had some kind of idea that this was truly special. And hence, they were, as best they could, defining this as a blessed situation. This is a time of great moment, of great significance
1: yes gordon is it is it is it possible for us to forfeit blessings
2: oh i think so um and we can do so in numerous ways you pointed out one already that is of allowing ourselves to get sucked into a materialist culture and if i'm going to be spending all of my income on getting a bigger house getting a bigger car, uh, getting higher status in my community by being seen only with the right people. I use my resources, my time, my talent for those things. Uh, God standing off to the side saying, hang on, Gordon, I've got something better for you. I've got something more enduring, more meaningful, that can play a more meaningful part in my kingdom. I don't want you frittering away your resources and your time on other stuff that's temporal and it's going to be gone uh, in a matter of a days or decades. Uh, I want you to be focusing on my work, and it's very easy to get sucked into the demands of the society around us. Yes, yes, yes.
1: There are a few books uh, on on the market, Gordon. I've, I've read a couple of them, and and even passed out um, one or two to people with children, uh, but they deal with parents blessing their children. And from your book and from your research, um, you talk about this, but what kind of blessings are parents conferring on, on their children? And in, in your opinion, in your research, do they really understand um, what they're doing when they do that?
2: So do the parents really understand? Is that Mm -hmm. what you're asking? Yes. I don't think so. And I don't think any of us fully understand this concept of blessing. Um, I think you said at the beginning of the program that uh, why God blesses us is a mystery. And I think we know in part what God is doing in our lives but we are so ignorant of bigger picture things that we certainly can't expect uh, typical parents uh, to know the full impact of the blessings they are praying for, for their children. And one uh, hopes that uh, every Christian family is seeking God's blessing on their children in an active way, that they pray regularly for their children, that they are uh, seeking their best, in a way that will lead the children to uh, grow up and lead God-pleasing lives. Um, But do we know the full picture of what's going on, whether it's in that little family situation or whether it's uh, in uh, our national situation? Uh, No, we don't. We don't fully grasp the blessings that are out there. I think, for example, of the human body. And the astonishing advances we've made in medical science in the past hundred years we now f- know far more about how incredibly complex the human brain is it's a, um, a marvel we didn't know that a hundred years ago and we see how god blesses our ability to think to speak uh, to process information through a brain that uh, is a miraculous o- organ and we say, what else remains there to be discovered? And we'll say, wow, we didn't know that. And God says, mm, yeah, I know. I know. I knew that from the beginning. Um. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Gordon, as we wrap up our, our conversation today, what, what is it that you hope that, that readers will, will take away from your book? Uh, what's, what's the primary one or two things that you desire?
2: I hope that a reader will take a look at the book and say, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't realize this was such a deep concept. And I now feel just a little bit sheepish that I treated the notion of blessings in such a cavalier, casual way. Um, Is there anything wrong, for instance, in saying bless you when you sneeze? Well, no, I don't think. God's going to fuss over something like that. But I do think God would want us to dig deeper if we have the ability and the opportunity to do that and say, uh, and have God say, come over here, I want to show you something. What you were uh, doing with the words bless you is really small potatoes. I've got something far more significant to talk about with you. Come over here and have a look. I think that's basically what I would hope a reader would take away.
1: Amen. Amen. The book is available, by the way, uh, friends, from Karis Publishing. And I I believe, uh, producer, that's the, yeah, that's the screenshot that you have up there, Karis Publishing. The book is available there. The God Who Blesses, Dr. Gordon Jackson. Gordon, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today about your book. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity to be with you and to share something that I think is potentially really helpful for your viewers. So thank you, Mike.
1: You're very welcome. You're very welcome. That's all we have today, friends, on this episode of WCN-TV. Please share this uh, on your media platforms and with your friends. Appreciate it very much. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time here on WCN-TV.